Good morning. There is an undeniable comfort and an overwhelming sense of peace when I can trust the words we hear spoken by God to the prophet Jeremiah. Now before the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. These words remind me of the assurances of Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. For you yourself created my most inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Of course, the text before us this morning is from the prophet Jeremiah. And yet, I believe with my whole heart that in ways mysterious and full of grace, these words are also meant for your life and mine. Just as in last week's gospel, we heard Jesus' own call to his vocation as the Messiah as he read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And just as Josh invited us to embrace our Christian vocation to love and serve our neighbors near and far, this same invitation continues to resonate in our readings this morning. The Hebrew scripture assures us not only of being known, but being consecrated in this vocation of servanthood. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, our lives must look like Christ's own life, whereby we are consecrated and anointed for the proclamation of the good news of God in Jesus Christ, wherever our journeys take us. Last week in the reading from Corinthians, Paul reminded the church in Corinth and us that we have each been given all the gifts we need for this life of servanthood ministry, and that no gift is inferior to any other. No person inferior to any other. All gifts, all persons equal and essential in the servanthood ministry of the body of Christ. I think it is important to note that when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, it was an absolute crisis, refusing to share, excluding the gifts of some, oppressing and demeaning others, arguments about authority and power, jockeying for positions of wealth and status. They were the challenges of that day, as they remain the challenges of our own day and time. And today, the continued text from Corinthians sums it up in as simple and yet as challenging a way to exercise the spiritual gifts only and always from a place rooted and grounded in love. Even prophecies, Paul says, come to an end. Knowledge itself ceases, but love, love never ends. Looking around these days, I find that sometimes very hard to believe. 
when all the power struggles continue such as they are, when the diminishment of freedom is targeted at certain specific communities of already at risk and marginalized people. One wonders how we can claw our way closer to a life of inclusive and divinely given love. But that's the message and that's the mission. Paul is clear. Even if one is gifted as a prophet, as a teacher, is gifted in tongues, or as generous as one could possibly be in all things, but does not have love, one gains absolutely nothing. All divinely gifts find their only and ultimate meaning in love. Yet before we become all gushy and romantic, and before we begin to sentimentalize this Corinthian text, it is the gospel that sheds its powerful and challenging message to the meaning of such love. Again, remember the gospel from last week as Jesus arrives in his hometown of Nazareth. His reputation has preceded him as a healer, a teacher, a miracle worker. They've heard all the stories about him, and now they stand before him as he begins his public ministry in his own hometown. He dares to read the words of the prophet Isaiah and finally proclaims that the messianic prophecy is fulfilled right before their eyes in him. Well, today we hear their true and honest reactions to that proclamation. Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus, do hear for us what you've been doing everywhere else. Who does he think he is critiquing us? And they were filled with rage. Rage. Not frustration, not even anger, but rage. Rage unleashed not only to the point of driving him out of town, but into an attempt of hurling him off a cliff. These were the friends, the neighbors, and the family members of Jesus. How quick we are to turn on one another, to judge and to condemn, and then to plan the annihilation or elimination of the other. How knee-jerk is our human capacity to lean into fear, fear that gives rise to threat, threat that gives rise to judgment, judgment that gives rise to condemnation and ultimately death and annihilation. When I was praying with these passages and gospel in this week, it was not difficult to remember scenes from our own recent history when fear became absolutely pervasive. Suspicion and judgment weaponized our basic human instinct for survival, and mob mentality rose to the height of cries for death and annihilation. How tragic then, in Jesus' time, is that the mob brutality in Nazareth escalated in the beginning in the synagogue. How deeply tragic and worthy of repentance is our own weaponizing of faith in Jesus Christ 
in order to enforce our own particular in interpretation of what is right and what is wrong, what is moral or immoral, who is worthy and who is not, based upon what it is that we believe we deserve. The slope is slippery, my friends, and we are right to examine our own conscience when it comes to judgments and interpretations of scripture itself. In a class, a lecture really, um, several years ago, the Reverend Dr. Pamela Cooper White wrote these words. Jesus's method of interpreting scripture and living his life was to look at the spirit of the law, not simply the letter. Where protocol and customs and rituals seem to have taken precedence over the needs of real flesh and blood suffering people, Jesus always chose to focus on the needs of the people. Where acquiescing to the status quo meant acquiescing to bondage, a state-sponsored system of promoting wealth and the power of the ruling few, and dividing the haves from the have-nots, Jesus always pointed to the overarching message of the prophets of liberation, of healing, of justice, of equality, of reconciliation for everyone, rich and poor alike. When mob frenzy seemed the rule of his day, Jesus's own nonviolent way of love offers us still now the only true and faithful way to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all. My friends, if we are brutally honest, we live in times not so much different from Nazareth and Corinth. And if we are not faithful in our own prayer and discipline, in our discipline of discernment, we too and will get caught up in our own highly individualized and most often flawed interpretation of what we believe to be big T truths. It's really my belief that there are almost none of them that exist when viewed only from a human individual perspective. It's why as an Episcopalian, as an Anglican, the three-legged stool of scripture, tradition, reason, reason, slash experience are each and all essential in faithful and informed decision-making, discernment, and belief. Not one, not even two, but all three are necessary for a faithful decision and discernment. So I would like to recommend three ways of moving forward. If scripture is finally Jesus' summary of the law and is able to be simplified into two sentences, we would do well to remember what Jesus himself said. Love God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Your diverse neighbors, the neighbors with whom you possibly intensely disagree. Love them anyway. To these two simple sentences, each and all of us need to hold ourselves truly accountable. Second, today's gospel gives us two possible responses to Jesus's summary of the law. One 
possibility would be to insulate ourselves from the challenges of his message of love and remain safely and securely wrapped in our skepticism about the possibility of any real change, of any true and worthy liberation of the captives of the world, and simply attempt to deem them unworthy of, undeserving of love, which then can lead and often will lead to a mob mentality and escalating violence, calling for death and annihilation of others. But the second response, and the one I invite you to embrace, is to keep our eyes focused and fixed on Jesus, on his life in service to hope, in service to healing, in service to peace, compassion, justice, and above all, not romantic love, but love at its deepest, deepest meaning. Third, now understand that even if we keep our eyes truly fixed and focused on Jesus and on his life, it will not eliminate all the power grabs, all the fears, even within our own hearts, all the judgments that even reside there as well, right here, right now. What it will do, however, if you and I remain committed to, vigilant about, keeping our eyes focused and fixed on how Jesus walks in the midst of relationships in a complex world, then you and I at least are oriented in the way of love, the way of Jesus, in a way that is faithful to our Christian vocation and mission. And finally, with all this preaching about love, the bottom line is this. Loving like Jesus loved is always and everywhere costly. It was for him, it will be for us. His faith was not a faith of easy answers or a scripture of self-evident truths to be just willy-nilly applied to every situation. What Jesus invites us to do is to take the road less traveled, the prophetic road that does in fact proclaim the good news of God in Jesus Christ for all God's beloveds, for God's creation. So it is for us then, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, focused on a faith that's always rooted and grounded in love, the kind of love that does bear all things, endures all things, causes us and demands of us to have even the difficult conversations that witness to loving those who believe differently, however intensely that may be, but to remain rooted and grounded in love even when facing down someone that we might consider an enemy. You and I are called to nothing less than respecting the dignity of every human creature. So, it's never easy. It will cost us along the way. But that's the life of faith for which you and I, all of us, and everyone beyond this church has been anointed and consecrated to carry on in his name. May you and I be bold and courageous and humble enough to be and love 
like Jesus. Amen.